weeks, we've been talking exactly about that, because he lives. We, it was too big of a topic for us to contain in just one Sunday morning on Easter, and so we've expanded it, and today is our last uh, day of this series, but we pro- even though we probably could just keep this going, which actually is what every Sunday is, we continue with whatever we read as we continue to celebrate, we continue to worship, it's all done because he lives. And uh, we've been just stressing the fact that Jesus Christ is alive today. He sits on the throne. He's on the right hand of God. And because he lives, he makes an impact. He makes a difference in our life today. And so, uh, Ella, I would just like to ask you this morning, maybe you can share with us what it means to you that Jesus is alive today and what that means in your heart and life. Of course. So my name is Ella Eitenayer. I am a senior at Kennel Hills High School. Obviously, you've seen me in the band up here. I also did the band for the Enlightened event that Greg just talked about. And this is the testimony that I read on stage there. My testimony begins, as many of yours, I'm sure, with the statement, I grew up in a Christian home. Despite my repeated pleas to Chloe, the coordinator of the event, that my testimony might be too bland or boring because of this, she still pushed me to step up here and share today. I've attended church all my life, but I did not really get involved with my faith until I started coming to youth group at Orchard Hill in sixth grade. At a summer camp in seventh grade, I felt the Holy Spirit move tangibly for the first time. I discovered a feeling of security and joy that I knew I wanted to pursue. Eighth grade and freshman year, my faith grew rapidly and I believed the only way things would go was up, kind of naively. Then COVID hit and left alone, Struggling with the messy end of a friendship I had cherished, I broke down and my faith plummeted. However, in the midst of all that pain, I turned to God out of desperation, and I learned to lean on God when things became too much for me to carry alone. Following that, I grew a lot in my faith, but I battled complacency and began to mirror the people around me more and more. Junior year began. I felt so stuck in meaningless routines, and I cried out to God to try to find where he was. There was no response. Shortly after that, out of nowhere, my entire friend group cut me completely out of their lives. I was stranded. God wasn't answering the phone, and everyone I had trusted had turned their back on me. Last winter was the darkest period of my life. Somehow I scraped by, picked up by friends who believed in me and treated me gently and with understanding. With springtime came revival and hope but I kept pushing God away, even despite the fact that he had provided me with the friends and that hope that had gotten me through that hard time. I struggled to find purpose and faith and to live like he truly knew best for me. This terribly stubborn, guilty feeling lingered for months, despite God's visceral, repetitive, and merciful calls back home to him. In the midst of this battle, Chloe asked me to be the worship leader for Enlightened, which I agreed to a bit begrudgingly. Knowing I would have to lead a crowd of empowered and faithful people while struggling to find it in myself to even talk to God, made me feel like an awful fraud. I beat myself up for it and fell even further from God. Regardless of how I felt, God would not give up on bringing me back to him. It's like someone poking your arm until you laugh and you say, okay, okay, (laughs) and you give in. Finally, this March, my stubbornness succumbed to God's great faithfulness. My spirit was renewed and my vision of God's daily graces has become clear. I still battle guilt and continued stubbornness but I've learned to see the light at the end of this very, very long tunnel. I cannot express what God's persistence means to me. So if I could send you all home with one takeaway, it would be this. Even when it felt like everyone else had left me stranded, 
God did not give up on me, and he will never, ever give up on you either. Amen. What a powerful word for us to remember that Jesus is alive. He's sitting on the throne, but he's just not kicking back like he's in a lazy boy recliner. He's out there pursuing us and after us and saying, I love you and I want you and I desire this relationship with you no matter where uh, you are. And uh, he will welcome us back into his arms. And so thank you for reminding us of that uh, this morning, Ella, so very much. I also feel like I just want to say a word. I was blessed this morning by our our students uh, that were leading us this morning. And, and I just want to say thank you to Orchard Hill Church for making room for our students. Since the time that I've been here, we've been on quite a journey together. And I know for many, it's been a difficult journey with all the changes that we have made, with the direction that we have chosen to move in. And it's been a struggle for many who have been part of our church family here. But they graciously made space. They made space so that we could reach the next generation, that we could continue to bring God to, to the next generation coming up. And so for the sacrifice that you made, for the, your preferences that you put aside, this morning we see some, some fruit of that. And I just want to say thank you for that. And that's been a tremendous gift, not just to this church, but to the next generation and to our God with whom you serve that you would lay that aside so that his message could go out. So I just want to thank you as your pastor for that this morning. Our Bible reading this morning is coming to us uh, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, well, All right, well, I'm just going to repeat Laura's sermon from last week. <laughs> that is not it, so we can just be gone with that. It, it was good, Laura, but... Uh, so, anyways, uh, we'll press on. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 12, actually, is what I'm reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, the context for this today is this. Um, the Apostle... Paul, in, is, as we come to this section, is, is writing this letter uh, because there is a group of people who Paul labels super apostles. You can see that in 11 verse 5. He actually puts that in quotes. Here are the super apostles. And this group of super apostles, they are making their rounds among the circuit of the churches. And this group has been trained in rhetoric. They're very knowledgeable about the word. They're very good in, in giving speeches. They're a very impressive group. And as this group is making their circuit around these churches, they hear about the apostle Paul, and their word about Paul is not so good. They claim, which uh, Paul talks about in 10.1, in, uh, that they refer to him as, as timid. And we see also in 10 verse 10 that this group says that Paul is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. That's kind of a slam if you're a pastor, I got to tell you that. <laughs> He's unimpressive, his speaking amounts to nothing. He's timid. Paul is just 
not it. Look at us, the super apostles. We got our rhetoric. We got our voices. We got our knowledge. If you're looking for somebody, we have it. The apostle Paul doesn't. And so what Paul does is he begins to write to the, the Corinthians. And he's saying, wait a minute. I know those guys are boasting about who they are and how well they do and, and what their ministry is like. And, and yeah, they may call me timid and weak, but if I, were to, if, if I could boast, if I wanted to boast, I could boast. And this is uh, what I would, would boast about. I have knowledge. I saw Jesus, right? I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. I had an encounter with Jesus. And you also can read what he says in chapter 12 that he says, 14 years ago, I had a vision. I was brought up into the very heavens where I had a vision and I could see God. That's what I could boast about. I have all that knowledge that these other people ha don't have. So if I was going to boast, I could do it. But instead he comes to the Corinthians and he, he says this. He says, I will say this, and instead of me boasting in order to keep me from being conceited, God has given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan who is harassing me to keep me from becoming proud. I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made strong in your weakness. <laughs> Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may fall on me. I will, for the sake of Jesus Christ, delight all the more gladly in my weakness, insults, harassments, difficulties, persecutions. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Almighty God, in your hidden in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and we ask, God, that you would open our eyes, that may we see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord, amen. amen. Typically, when I get in my car and I'm going to travel to a destination, I plug it into my GPS, and my expectation is that it will take me from point A to point B along the blue route without any traffic congestion, without any detours, without any problems whatsoever. That will be smooth sailing from point A to point B. I don't want to see a yellow. I don't want to see a red. At all. I assume the GPS will take me in a straight line, the smoothest line, the quickest line to get me to my destination. And I mention that this morning because I think that also 
might be the expectation that many of us have when we begin our journey with Jesus Christ. I'm starting at point A with Jesus. And after all, right, he loves me. And he holds everything in his hands, all power and everything. He's sovereign and holds it in his hands. So certainly my journey with him as I head to eternal glory will be nothing but a smooth blue road all the way to heaven until I meet Jesus in eternal glory. There will be no detours. There will be no roadblocks. There will be no potholes because I'm on this journey with Jesus Christ. I think that's our expectation that we hold. That while I'm on this journey, I'm not going to have any more financial hardships. While I'm on this journey, I will not have any more stress. On this journey, my financial problems are over. I don't have to worry about anybody in my family being sick because you know what? We are now following Jesus Christ and we are heading on that way and it is nothing but a blue road. But I think and probably we could get several testimonies to this, is that our journey with Jesus Christ is not all a blue road. There are many difficulties. There are detours along the way. And the Apostle Paul certainly gives testimony to this in the word that we read this morning. Paul says, there is a lot of yellow. There actually is a lot of even red on this journey. If you look at what Paul has to say in chapter 11, looking at verse 24, Paul says this. He says, five times, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked. That is not a blue robe. That is not a blue robe. But yet that was the path that the Apostle Paul, the one who was following Jesus Christ and declaring the gospel, that was the path that Paul was on. And then above all of that, Paul tells us in chapter 12, he says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. I was given a thorn in the flesh. And when we think about that word thorn, I don't know about you, but, you know, we did some gardening out, some yard work yesterday, and I think about a little pricker that gets stuck in my arm, and maybe that's what we think about. But the Greek word skaloops means tent stake, tent peg, right? That's different than, so we're not talking, we're, we're talking tent peg, not thumbtack here, all right? That's a big difference, is it not? And that's what Paul is saying. And he, he's saying that I have this thorn, and he says it is harassing me. Now, some of the scriptures, and it may say this in your version, might even say the word torment me. 
That ups the game a little bit. And if we go in a, even a deeper dive into that word, the one that I really like is buffet. Some scriptures will say buffeting me because that's like a boat that's out and the waves keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And that's what Paul is saying, that there is an enemy, that there is Satan who is taking this thorn and he is harassing me again and again and again and again with this thorn in the flesh. Can you see what Paul is going through? It's a thorn in the flesh, which lends us to believe that it is something physical. It's in his flesh. Some have speculated that maybe it was headaches that he dealt with. Those of you who have migraines are like, yes, I get that. Or, or some even thought that it was his vision that he didn't that was a struggle for him because we talk about he has to write in big letters and some think it was an emotional issue but we really don't know all of that is conjecture if you look at commentaries you can come up with 12 different ailments that paul probably suffered which basically means a lot of people wasted a lot of time because we don't know what it is but no doubt it was painful no doubt it was chronic no doubt it, it weighed him down and it was with him and the rest of the world could see it and they said, oh my goodness, that is a weakness in Paul. Look at that little man over there having to face this thorn in his side over and over and over again. Paul is nothing. He's a weak little man. And that's what Paul had to deal with. Could you identify with Paul this morning? That maybe in your life there is a thorn that just keeps coming at you. That there is a trial that it just seems like you're going through day in and, and day out. That you struggle with this weakness day after day. I don't know what it is. They, I mean, they come in all shapes and sizes. They're not gift wrapped in the same package. Because sometimes it can be a financial issue that I, I don't, I, how am I going to make it through these finances? I keep struggling. Maybe you're in a marriage that just, it just doesn't seem to work and it's a grind. And how am I going to get through this and make it through it? Maybe it's an emotional aspect of your life. I just can't ever seem to get rise above it. Maybe, maybe it's a, a, a loss, you know, that I've lost somebody in my life or it's an illness and, and the list could go on because they come in all different shapes and sizes and there is Satan using them to harass us over and over and over again. Can you identify with the Apostle Paul? That yeah, I think that's a weakness that I have. And I think, I think many of us who deal with these trials, deal with these weaknesses, we get pounded with them, turn exactly where the Apostle Paul did. He turned to God. He went to God in prayer. And that is a right, and that is a good, and that should be our first response at all times, to turn our hearts to God. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul himself who said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayers, bring them to God. So Paul says, that's what I did. I brought them to God. In fact, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord. 
That, that's not just uh, before lunchtime prayer. That's just not in my car, God bless my day kind of prayer. That's not a casual prayer. That is an on your knees with an ache in your heart, with tears coming down your face prayer. That is a prayer of desperation. I pleaded with the Lord to take this flesh thorn from me. And he says, I did it three times. Now here we have to understand there's a theology of three going on here. That most commentators believe that three is being used much like the number seven was in, our, in, in Revelation. Three being completeness, beginning, middle, end. It's a full story. I have worked this thing through from front to back over and over again. I have brought this prayer to God time and time again. I couldn't pray anymore. I've been as thorough as I could be. I pleaded with him over and over and over again to take this from me. And that was Paul. And that was Paul's pattern in his, his prayer. And I can only imagine that that's been some of us in our prayers as we deal with life, as we deal with the, with the enemy buffeting against us, with the ugliness of, of this world, with trials. And as Paul cries out, and as we cry out, I think what is evident to me in this passage here is that God doesn't say, okay, Paul, I'm going to remove that thorn out of your flesh. He doesn't say that here. And we need to see that. Because I think one of the most heinous lies of the gospel, which is purported by word of faith preachers and name it and claim it preachers and prosperity gospel preachers is that all we have to do is, is bring whatever is troubling us, whatever is making our life on that yellow road, whatever is standing in our way on that red road. We just got to bring that to God and if we have enough faith and we pray to God enough, boom, it will be gone. If you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. And that is a verse off taken awfully out of context it's not what it says at all and we see that here because jesus doesn't say right jesus the risen savior says paul i'm, I'm right here with you as you you pray to me i hear your prayer paul i hear it our prayers do not go unheard by god he hears our prayers the psalmist says call out to god and the lord hears the prayers of the righteous he he hears them and jesus hears this prayer from paul and he doesn't say, okay, Paul, I'm going to take that thorn out of your, your flesh. But what does Jesus promise him? My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, as you deal with this thorn in your flesh. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there with you. I will be there with you, Paul. And that was the promise of Jesus. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I am with you till the very end of the age. Jesus says, I am here with you, Paul. 
whether you are on the mountain like we sang about or you are down in the valley where's god with you i am with you and while i'm with you i'm giving you my presence i'm giving you my grace says paul is what he heard my grace is sufficient for you and when he's using grace in this context i don't think it's in the the salvation sense of grace like a lot of times we talk about it it was you know god's riches at christ's expense i inherited everything from i think paul is talking more generally here about grace which is just the blessings of god which still we don't deserve right we're still getting them because of jesus christ so maybe that definition does hold up but it's just the blessings of god he says paul when i'm with you as you're dealing with that thorn in your flesh paul i am with you bringing you my blessing into your life paul i'm bringing my blessing into my life and i am walking with you as you deal with that thorn and paul as i bring my blessing to you as i come and walk with you i'm going to give you everything you need to deal with that thorn maybe you need encouragement paul i'm right there to encourage you maybe you need endurance i'm right there with endurance maybe you need hope i'm going to give you hope maybe you need to stand up and you need to be bold i'm going to be right there and i'm going to bring boldness to you whatever you need paul i am going to come and surround you with what you need and i love how paul says this later on he says he says i'm later he says later on i'm going to rejoice in my weakness because at that time the spirit of christ will rest on me he'll rest on me and that word rest comes to us from the root of tabernacle everything goes back to leviticus tabernacle what do we know about the tabernacle it was the place where the presence of god lived and dwelt where god's presence lived and dwelt so jesus is saying yes paul you're dealing with this thorn in your flesh but i'm going to come live and dwell and bring my presence with you i'm going to pull you into my tent and put you in my covering the psalmist talks about how a mother bird puts the baby bird under the wing and the same image here jesus is saying i'm pulling you into my tent and i'm going to cover you this made me think of the nfl football games and their blue tent on the sideline when a player gets hurt on the field they get injured on the field they rush the, they take the player and they bring him over to the sideline and suddenly they bring this blue tent over to him and they go and it just covers him right up and all of a sudden all the medical team and everybody goes in there and they take care of the guy and they treat him as he's inside this blue tent right there and i think that's what's going on here jesus is saying paul you got that thorn in your flesh you know what pal you're not alone because boom i put you in the blue tent of my blessing and my grace there you are you're surrounded by me with everything that you need paul and you know what this grace is sufficient for you the grace is sufficient for you sufficient not when i first heard that word sufficient i thought the sense of it's not quite enough right sufficient not enough it's like eh, it's a little bit it's, eh, it's sufficient it's okay and it reminds me when i was when i was little and uh I, I would ask my mom for a piece of gum like wrigley's you know a stick of wrigley's gum 
Maybe your parents did this to you, too. He'd rip it in half. <laughs> yeah, I see some people nodding. Why was that such a parent thing to do? They'd rip it in half, and you get this little half piece of gum that hardly tasted, hardly went in your mouth, and I'm like, can I have the rest of it? No, that's sufficient. No, that's a little weaselly amount. No, and that's what I, when I heard, first heard sufficient here, but it doesn't mean sufficient and like, eh, it's enough. It means sufficient, it's enough. You got more than you want. Sufficient in the, in the big sense. You have it. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Paul had talked about this just earlier. He says, and God is able to bless you. Other versions talk about grace right there. But God is able to bless you. God pulls you into this tent with his presence and with his blessing he, to bless you abundantly, right? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The key word in that passage there is abundance. What kind of blessing do we get from God? Abundant blessing. Paul, you're dealing with that thorn in your flesh. You're going through that trial. You're dealing with this weakness. You don't think you can press on anymore? Boom, I'm putting my presence in my tent around you, Paul. And you got my grace and you got everything you need to keep moving around. Okay, well, that's good enough for today, God. But what about tomorrow? Paul, it's abundant. I got enough for today. And I got enough for tomorrow. Yeah, but it's really hurting me more today than it did yesterday. Well, that's okay. I got enough. It's abundant. You can have it today and tomorrow. Well, what about the next day? And the next day? And the next day? It's abundant. It doesn't run out. God says, that's what I have for you. Abundant blessing to cover you, to walk with you, whether you're in the mountain or you're in the valley when you're dealing with your trial, whether you're on the blue road or you're on the... The, the yellow road or you're on the red road I have enough to surround you and bless you and bring you my grace and my presence it is sufficient for you in fact it is made perfect other translations say complete and I kind of like that well God are you going to leave me hanging here got this thorn in my flesh yeah you're giving me some something that I need to get through it but is it going to be enough God to get through no it's sufficient and it's complete sufficient and complete I mean God gave us this picture in the very beginning of time when he uh, think about the uh, the Israelites when they're wandering in the desert and all of a sudden they're like "Yay, we're free we're yay we're out of exodus we're free from the Egyptians and then day two they're like hey we're out in the desert and oh, we're hungry we got nothing to eat. Maybe we should go back into bondage because at least there we had something to eat. Fickle people, says. <laughs> and God says, don't worry. You're my people. What am I going to do? You're in the middle of the desert. You're walking through the barren land. I'm going to feed you. You're going to have manna from heaven. And God brought a manna from heaven. Did they have enough for the day to eat? They did. And God said, don't take any more, because tomorrow I'm going to give you more manna. And the next day I'm going to give you even more. 
And some of those people did not trust God. So they decided to pile up their manna in their tent. And when they piled it up in their tent, do you remember what they got? Maggots. Right? They didn't trust God, that he was abundant and he would continue to bless them. That he was Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. That's who he is. And he had enough to provide him this day, the next day, the next day, and all through their wilderness wanderings. He continued to feed them and be with them and sustain them and bless them and give them the grace that was sufficient, that was complete. And that God is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he will show up for you as he did for the people of Israel to put his tent around you and bring you his blessing, whatever it is, each and every day as you make it through your trial, as you go through your difficulty, as you deal with your weakness, he is right there to go with you through it. And that's the promise of the scriptures. So friends, I want you to hold on to this today. As you deal with that trial, as you deal with that issue, And I want you to call out to God and know that he is there. He is there to hear you. And that our God will and is answering you. It may not be like Paul that I want this thing from me. But God said, no. Paul, I'm not taking that from you. I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to give you what you need to get through it. Because, Paul, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, Paul, you can't see what I'm doing and how I'm working in your life and how I'm working in the world and how I'm working for eternity. And you know what, Paul? If I took that thorn from you and you puffed up with pride, you would be useless to me, Paul. You need to be humble. You need to be weak so that the message continues to be shown. The glory is shining on me, Paul. That's where it needs to go. And so quite often, we don't know what God knows. We don't see what God sees. But we know that he's a good God. We know that he promises good gifts to his children. We know that he loves us. All we have to do is look at the cross. And as Paul wrote in Romans, you can understand, here's the guy, thorn in the flesh, I pleaded. And for him to write, I know that all Things work together for those who love the Lord. Do you feel the grittiness of that passage? Do you feel what's behind that? He's just not in his head going, I know all things work for the Lord. He's like, I've had this thorn in my flesh and everybody considers it a weakness and I've lived with it my entire life. But God has surrounded me with his presence. And I know that all things work to the good for those who love the Lord. Because God is with us, and he, never, he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And so in that moment, when I am weak, I am strong. I am strong. And so leave here today knowing that the power of Jesus is resting on you as you move through your trial. And with that power of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that power is in you. You are strong. God, we thank you for these words today. 
We thank you for the encouragement today. God, I don't know who is here that needs to hear these, but I know our lives can be a challenge. I know we can be facing trials, difficulties, hardships. And so we lean into you this morning, our God. We come to you in our weakness, and we just say, God, we're done. We're done. We, we pleaded, God. We're desperate. And we trust, as the psalmist says, a bruised reed you will not break. A fluttering wick you will not snuff out. God, I know there are those here today that are feeling like that. And so will you surround them with your presence? Will your Holy Spirit come, as we sang earlier in our service today, and just rest on us in this day? Pull us into that blue tent. and Give us what we need. We came in thinking we didn't know how we were going to go on. But now we hear this testimony of the Apostle Paul. We know how we're going on. We're walking with you given us all the power that we need. And so God, we do pray today that you would come, that you would set us free from these difficulties. But maybe that freedom is new strength, new hope, new endurance. Whatever it has, whatever way, God, we open up our lives and just ask in this moment, receive your spirit so we could press on for another day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen.